0: Good morning, and welcome again to Trinity Heights Virtual Service. Thank you for joining us this morning. I hope that you're all well and staying sane in this extended lockdown. I keep getting asked by friends in in other parts of the country, actually, which are sort of already opening up if if things are returning to normal for us in the city. And I have to tell them, no, not in New York, and uh, it, it might be a while. But in the meantime, we're in a series entitled A Community of Christians and Skeptics in which we've been attempting to convey something of our vision as a church in this neighbourhood and we've been trying to capture the spirit of conversation that we hope the church can engage in with the culture. As you know, for the next few weeks, we're approaching Sunday Messages with a conversational dialogue format. I I know that's different to the usual sermon, but I want to acknowledge that different people do learn in different ways. And so for some people, this will be a much easier way to catch the larger vision. And given that we can't be together in person, we also want to do all we can to use this medium to convey our sense of togetherness. So sit back, relax, enjoy your coffee, or in my case, a cup of tea, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Hey, how's it going? How's Megan? How are the boys? All good, man.
1: You know, it's funny. Uh, socially distanced croquet matches have become our new thing over here. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm not even joking. It's, uh, it's like I, I, I haven't, haven't
0: played it, croquet in. in Decades, I don't think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well I hadn't either, but it's it's literally become like uh at the end of the day, okay kids, finish up your schoolwork, grab your mallet, and be prepared to get crushed.
0: (laughs) And and then they crush you, I assume.
1: (laughs) Well, not yet actually. Megan and I tend to keep them in their place.
0: (laughs) But that that (laughs) they will come. And then they'll know that woman.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh man. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing well. And, yeah, uh, we are. Yeah, that's great. Well, I just want to welcome everyone who's listening in today. Thanks for joining us uh, and, uh, you know, really participating in, in this series of discussions uh, highlighting the core mission and vision of Trinity Heights Church. Our last two discussions dealt uh, with Trinity Heights as a community of Christians and skeptics, and if you missed either of those two, then I'd encourage you to go back and have a listen. Uh, one thing I was thinking about, Stephen, from our last conversation is that it really is hard work, isn't it, uh, with regards to uh, language learning and bridging the, oh, the cultural absolutely. chasm
0: yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I know that, I, that you and I, we tend to kick around sort of grand ideas and, and heroic gestures. Um, and we focused a lot last time on Paul mm-hmm. and his heroic gestures, kind of dropping the mic at the Areopagus and stuff. But I guess I just wanted to be clear and, and mention that... Uh, that it is hard work and that we're not asking everyone to be Paul because that would be incredibly intimidating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that would be uh, very intimidating. Uh, none of us are the Apostle Paul, um, right. but, but it's interesting. Paul does say, look, in, in as much as, as I follow Christ, uh, you fo- follow me. Um, and he, he won't ever be Christ and we won't be Paul, but we can aspire to be like them. There, there may be some ways that we, we really do want to emulate them. Um, And I think, just just to be clear, it's not so much that Paul was capable of having these high-level philosophical conversations, uh, and so we should, too. I mean, he he was capable of that, but but it's more than that. It's that he was capable of having good conversations in the context he was in. And and I think what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves in our context, what's it going to take? How does a church have to sort of pivot? In order to be able to have good conversations, so you know we may not be talking directly to any philosophers like Paul was, but we we still want to have meaningful conversations with friends, with with our family, with loved ones in our own cultural context, which is of course mm-hmm. shaped by all those philosophical currents we talked about last week. Um, right. well, well, that's what we want to aspire to. It, it's uh, it's aspirational in, in in that sense.
1: Exactly. You know, obviously we all have different talents, but regardless of, of what we do. Uh, we all really want to be able to have good conversations and fostering those kinds of skills might be part of what we're called to do sort of in a general sense uh, and it really does become important that we're actively working to, to keep the conversations going i guess rather than becoming some kind of a debbie downer of sorts, <laughs> shutting things down left and right yeah. and I, I know from my experience that uh that it's absolutely vital to the health of, of a church uh to our church to any church that um you know that we do keep the conversations going and i know that trinity heights thrives on um, these kinds of healthy healthy things healthy conversations
0: sure absolutely i'd love to love to chat more about that Um,
1: yeah me too so i guess that would bring us to our 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 next discussion today which we're calling storytelling and the gospel as compelling narrative you know, I, I happened upon the, the Trinity website um, the other day, I was reading, and I came across the About page, and I noticed that there's quite a bit of language around uh, the idea of uh, storytelling and narrative. Mm. So I guess if we could just unpack uh, why those, um, those two topics uh, are specifically uh, geared towards uh, faith, belief, and Christianity.
0: Yeah, you're right. We, we, do, we do talk about it that way a lot. And I, I hope you know, we can unpack this over a couple of sessions because it's, it really is an important part of what I, I think is allowing us to be a community of Christians and, and skeptics together. Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing to point out is that scripture itself, the, the, the Old and New Testament, is two-thirds story uh and and even those parts of scripture like romans which you know sometimes considered paul's more sort of formal, formal theological treaties uh right. romans itself is actually loaded with story it's loaded with stories from from genesis and exodus and kings and isaiah and in many ways we can't really understand romans unless we understand those stories so actually a lot mm-hmm. more than two-thirds okay so a lot more than two-thirds of scripture uh, is is story. It comes to us in narrative form. So, sure. so that's the first thing. The, the, the sheer number of stories and the, and the proportion of stories uh, contained in the Bible. So it's sort of like a a, a lopsided book in in, in that sense. Um, <clears throat> but then then of course there there's Jesus and he's presented to us in in a story in in the Gospels, uh, which appear in the largest story of Scripture. And in those stories, Jesus himself is telling stories. So, so if you're counting, what we've got is stories within a story mm-hmm. within a story. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus like parables, uh, which are which I, I think are a particularly disruptive story form. Uh, but he sure. says he, he says he spoke in parables. In other words, he, it's another way of saying he spoke in stories. Mm-hmm. Now, by contrast to to all all of what we just said, what we don't have between those two covers is a bullet pointed list of sort of abstracted beliefs or bullet points mm-hmm. of all of our values or, or a theological system or, or a doctrinal statement, or even a moral code. If, if these right. things there at all, they, they come embedded, couched in, in uh, the narrative itself. So, you know, that, that's why at Trinity Heights, we tend to talk about faith in terms of story. We, we talk about it in terms of exploring a narrative together because that's how, that's how we actually receive it in the first place. Um, and I think I think another interesting follow-up question to the, to the one you're asking is mm-hmm. why does Jesus tell so many stories? Or, or perhaps more broadly, we might ask what why are there so many so much why is there so much narrative content in the Bible? Um, mm-hmm. well, why are so many of the same themes sort of repeated over and over again? Uh, I, I think we should be Curious about that because because the moment you start asking that that, that kind of question, I, I think the Bible becomes a very interesting and a very exciting uh, book.
1: Yeah, you know it is. It's a great question uh, because most times Jesus's parables are excruciatingly difficult to understand. Not to mention, uh, you know, most of the Old Testament Bible stories. Wrapping your head around some of those things is you know a whole thing in and of itself.
0: Mm, sure. And
1: and sometimes it feels like life's answers are being deliberately withheld from us. <laughs> Uh, But then you have Jesus saying things like, um, he who has ears, let him hear, almost as a means to provoke us into digging deeper somehow, maybe like a good math teacher uh, who doesn't just hand her students all the answers, but uh, says, uh, work it out for yourself.
0: Yeah, that's so true. There there is, I think, this invitation in Jesus' parables, and I I think in most of Scripture, actually, for us to uh, almost be participants in the story itself. Uh, You you can't listen to Jesus' parables and and not ask the question, but who am I in this story, right? Uh, And uh, that that, uh, it it reminds me of a a time um, when I was about six or seven years old and and I actually dropped the F-bomb in front of my dad. And my dad's response was really interesting. Instead of saying, you know, don't use that kind of language in front of me or, or whatever it was, instead of telling me off, he actually told me a story. Uh, About Mm -hmm. my grandfather and Mm -hmm. and what had happened is my grandfather had helped out a friend in in really desperate times with a large Mm -hmm. sum of money and After my grandfather hit hard times himself and lost everything in in Korea He went to this same friend who was now doing fairly well for himself and he was in banking and he asked him Mm -hmm. to help and Sadly my grandfather heard this man mutter under his breath F off Mm. And, my, and my dad said this really hurt your grandfather. It just cut him to the heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I didn't use <laughs> I didn't use the F bomb again for years. And <laughs> <laughs> my dad didn't need to tell me don't say this or, or, or don't do that. He just he just told me that story. So so there's mm. this this element of you know let him or his years let him hear. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was sort of being invited to become a participant in the story, and I had to ask myself. Who, who am I in this story? He, he was sort of saying, like, like you just said, you know, work, work this out for yourself. Um, right. uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I also, I remember telling the church once that uh, uh, when, when I was a kid, my, my parents sat me down and they presented me, they'd pull out these long lists and they'd say, here are the list of things you should love. Here are the list of things you should hate. Here are the things that you <laughs> should fear. Here's the things you should hope for. Here's what you should find <laughs> ugly, what you should find beautiful, you know, here's what you should desire, yeah. and, and on and on. And, and I remember mm-hmm. some people in the congregation were looking at me thinking, man, that's a really weird, screwed up childhood. <laughs> and because my parents did, I mean, that would be, but my parents didn't do that, right? Well, yeah. Obviously, that's not how it worked. You know, we, we had movies, we had books. Mm-hmm. Actually, I didn't read much back then, but we had comic books. I did read those. Uh, mm-hmm. my, and my dad was obviously a great storyteller. You know, we, we had stories, and essentially that's mm-hmm. how these things we learned these things and that's how they came and ingrained in us
1: yeah same you know for me I think storytelling was an important part of my childhood as well my dad was a great storyteller and it seemed like every night uh before bed he would come in into my sister and I's room and then tell us some elaborate story about some absolutely terrible naughty thing that he had done as a child and and it, it was you know we would just freak out because I think once he stole one of his sister's Barbies and set it on fire secretly in the backyard, <laughs> and uh, you know just bad stuff in general. Uh, but it was it was uh, interesting to me because it was never uh, to encourage us to be naughty, or we never felt that we had to, uh, you know, kind of um, recreate some of his some of his th- some of the things that he talked about. In fact, uh, somehow uh, the way that he told them seemed to like demystify the the badness of the things that so... he had done. Uh, and it kind of left us with a deeper understanding of how we might act uh, well or, or to, to please him or in obedience to him and uh, and and then you know thinking back, m- my father is uh, and, and was back then a, a very you know skilled psychologist and um, and now I, I understand as, as, as an adult that he was just sort of enacting in a very elaborate game of, of reverse psychology. Uh, <laughs> You know, like, to the level of, of that movie Inception, you saw that, right?
0: Right, yeah, sure. <laughs> you you plant the idea several, several <laughs> layers deep into someone's conscience, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the idea. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think we're really fortunate to having engaged with stories. I mean, anyone who's who's managed to engage with stories at a young age is, is I think, very fortunate. Um, mm-hmm. but, because I think some of the, the more troubled people that I've known over the years... What I've found is that they didn't, for some reason or other, they never engaged with stories. They, they didn't mm. have a favorite movie or TV show. They didn't have a favorite book. No, no one tucked mm-hmm. them into bed at night and told them bedtime, bedtime stories. And so all they were left with is their own crummy story, which is often filled mm. with a lot of pain. And, and this cast of right. crummy characters um, who they've had the misfortune of knowing in early life. So... Mm-hmm. So there's really only one way that all of their relationships and all of their stories can end. Um, on, on the other hand, I've actually you know, known people who, who've been through some, some horrendous things growing up, uh, but, but by contrast, somehow they're, they're not troubled in the same way. They, they do possess this, not just stability, but an incredible joy in life. And what I've discovered is that those people had access to, to stories. Uh, what one friend uh, was was telling me, she had attached herself to a particular story, and identified, she clearly remembers identifying with particular characters in that story. And, and that taught her to hope for, for something entirely different.
1: Hmm, right, so stories not just as a means of escape, but uh, story as a way to access hope even. The, you know, uh, we, we can somehow imagine what life might be like with a different cast of characters, uh, better characters better yeah. circumstances
0: yeah yeah they, they they open us up to the possibility that that uh, you know that that we could have a different plot line that there could be different kinds of people um, have have you ever read the 1001 uh, nights of arabia Do you know the, the, the no whole...
1: i haven't read it but i wish i had yeah
0: so so the the whole the whole book the, the premise of the whole book is is in the power of of stories to to establish our world or to to open up new worlds for us or to heal our our old world Um, so so the book actually starts with this prince who is deeply in love with his wife uh, Mm -hmm. but she betrays him and she breaks his heart and something just changes in the prince something inside Mm -hmm. him just doesn't work anymore Uh, his thinking becomes really twisted and uh, what's left of his, his broken heart, it just turns to stone. And so, so he, he summons his advisor, his, his vizier, and, and demands that. He says, hey, you bring me a new woman every night. And so mm-hmm. he spends the night with that woman. And every morning, he has her executed. So, so at mm-hmm. least that woman wouldn't be able to cheat on him. And, and no woman would ever hurt him again. Mm-hmm. So, so one evening, he summons his vizier. And, and he asks, who's the woman tonight? And the vizier says, well, there is no woman. Well, you know, what do you mean there's no woman? Well, you've either had them all killed or their parents have figured out what's going on so that they're hiding their daughters or that they have fled. And mm-hmm. so the, the prince says to his wife, no, no, it's okay. It's okay because I know that you, you happen to have uh, two daughters of your own. Bring, bring your eldest daughter. And so he has no choice but to bring his daughter, Shahrazad. But Shahrazad has a plan. And so she goes to the prince and spends a night with him. And afterwards, he, she begins to tell him a story. And, and the prince is intrigued because it, the story feels like it's going somewhere. He doesn't know where the story's going exactly, but, but he's intrigued by the characters. He's interested in the plot. He wants to find out what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. But morning comes, and it's time for Shahrazad to leave. But instead of having her killed, the prince invites her back and, and the ne- the ne- for the next night to tell him the rest of the story. And so she comes back the next night and she tells him more of the story. And the story just keeps getting more and more exciting. Mm. And soon as the characters in the story are, are telling each other stories. And so you have, again, that, that, that sense of the story within a story within a, a, a story. Mm-hmm. And, and some of these stories are about betrayal, you know, which, which is personal to the, the prince. Some, some are about people who are unable to recognize true love and, and mm-hmm. who reject it even when it's right in front of them. Uh, and those stories, just, you know, they just break the prince. Uh, A lot of the stories are analysing their relationship between the Prince and Shahrazad. Um, But what Shahrazad does, night after night, she she harnesses the power of story. Mm. And every morning her father comes with her burial clothes thinking that this is going to be the day the Prince kills her. But Mm. she keeps herself alive for a thousand and one nights with nothing but her words and her wit and, and her ability to creatively tell stories. And then something really strange happens. At the end of the Thousand and One Nights, the prince suddenly remembers Shahrazad's father. And he says, your, your poor father. He keeps coming with your burial clothes every morning, thinking you've been killed. He must be worried sick about you. You need to tell him, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm better now. I'm healed. And, and so the, the, the stories had somehow, um, somehow healed him. That, that somehow sort of untwisted his twisted thinking and melted his stony cold heart and and through these stories that the prince had learned to empathize again uh he, he learned to hope again through these stories um hmm. but but without any stories the, the prince became this very small and tiny soul man with, without without a hope and, and 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 without a without a future
1: hmm. that's really compelling i love this idea of the healing power of story
0: yeah um, I mean, still, yeah. I think stories can can have that mm-hmm. that kind of power, um, you know. But like, but like, like Shahrazad, it, it's not it's not just one telling of the story, is it? Or, right. But it's, it's it's got sure. to be this sort of multiple tellings, sometimes of the same story, or perhaps it's different stories which contain the same themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this there's this sort of repetition in order for these new hopes, new values to become serious options for for us. Mm-hmm. So, which is why I think the the, the same themes recur. In different parables, you know that Jesus tells, and, we, and we're constantly being invited to view ourselves, our world, through those parables, and, and ask, you know, who are, who are we in, in these stories that Jesus is telling?
1: Right. So you have the idea of story as, as an incredibly powerful force, good at shaping us to the very core, but uh, without being preachy. So Jesus's parables right. obviously don't come across as preachy. In fact. Uh, in fact, you know the best stories of all time, whether you're looking at, at the parables of Jesus or, or you know, kind of the highest literature, um, uh, tend to avoid preaching us like the plague. Uh, the, the the plague. So you know, in my experience, um, it, it's a little different uh, because I grew up in a strict British, uh, British and Dutch schools in South Africa, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, I, I think um, the sort of focus on on discipline and order in those schools was was incredibly paramount uh and so stories seemed to be used uh, as a way to instill fear and dread into the the student population
0: specifically in like
1: the the lower grades elementary school so i remember being like nine or ten and uh, teachers telling us stories about good little children who obey the rules and are rewarded but then you have the bad children who who break the rules and and then they just
0: die so it's just like this crazy this crazy dichotomy and so the extremes so
1: yeah totally ridiculously and ludicrously extreme you know so then you know you have a teacher sit us all down and they're like so the moral of the story is kids, if you steal the sweets or you you know then or, and you don't share with your friends then you'll
0: just probably die <laughs> Uh, I, I I hope uh, hope Elliot and Risa are really enjoying their their childhood. <laughs> As you yeah.
1: The <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah, man, we take uh, we take bedtime stories
0: <laughs> to a whole nother level. Already, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because here's the thing, right? With what you've just been describing, the, the moment you stop the story and and say, "Okay, kids, here's the moral of the story." You yeah power to instill the values you're we hoping to instill so that, that's why you know so much hollywood wokeness doesn't doesn't really work because so often the story just comes to a screeching grinding halt in, right. in order to hit you whack you over the head with their moral um, we're not we're not being invited in in to become sort of participants in the as, as, as
1: right in the in that case i guess story is incredibly political uh, to a certain degree uh i mean i guess storytelling in, in general or you know there might be some agenda behind it to some point but when the politics start to drive the very story itself and uh and then we we start to feel that the story's been hijacked by by the agenda then it, it starts to be a little uh well it's it's a bit cringeworthy regardless of of how noble that that agenda might be
0: yeah you're right i mean i think the I mean that's a, that's a good observation. I think st- mm-hmm. story, all storytelling is is political mm-hmm. to some extent, but it's the politicization of storytelling where the story is no longer the thing. The, the story sort of takes this backseat to this this agenda. Right. So uh,
1: it's good if if the story can preserve a bit of the mystery. Uh, I found that um, that for me, you know, stories have tended to. Um, soak into me through via osmosis, almost, uh, soaking into my very bones um, while I hardly know it's happening.
0: Yeah, we, no, we, we hardly know it's happening. That's a good mm-hmm. way of putting it. Um, you know, as, as we've been saying, many many stories are sort of just repeated in, over and over in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Gospels come to mind. We have the story of Jesus told in, in four different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Exodus is, an, is another story repeated you know multiple times throughout the old right, and new yeah. testaments i mean it, actually that story is constantly referenced in some way or another uh sometimes it's just a sentence that evokes the entire story sometimes it's in mm-hmm. more detail uh, but it, it's not just it doesn't just appear in the book of exodus right the exodus mm-hmm. story shows up in deuteronomy and joshua and samuel uh kings the psalms some of the prophets ezra nehemiah daniel might mm-hmm. probably probably left something out um but by the time we get to the new testament uh all of these expectations and beliefs in the messiah the hope of this moses figure uh, are being, have been fed and, and, and shaped by by this story for, for centuries mm-hmm. uh, and, and so naturally uh matthew sort of couches his narrative in motifs from that story so so for example as, as you read through matthew you find that john the baptist he says is on the other side of the jordan the other side of the jordan what, why is that significant well, it's because that's the side Israel was on before they crossed over into the promised land. Uh, or, or you have Jesus coming down from the mountain and, and he chooses 12 disciples, well, that's an echo of Moses coming down Mount Sinai and, and, and the 12 disciples representing the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Um, and, and actually, I think the, it's interesting, the story of, of Exodus is, is a particularly good story uh, to reflect on when it comes to answering the sorts of questions we've been trying to to answer this this morning, uh, like, like you know, why why does Jesus tell so many stories, or why is the Bible full of stories? Why why isn't the Bible this tidy list of things we we should believe? I mean, I mean, it seems like that that might be easier if we just gave give us a clear, doctrinal statement. Um, but but the, the Exodus is a is a particularly important story for a people who were once enslaved in Egypt, then exiled in captivity in in Babylon then they're under roman occupation right i mean they just think about enslavement exile Mm -hmm. captivity occupation um now those those words may just roll off our tongues as if it was nothing but but this this is actually Mm -hmm. their their political reality they had to live with this this constant threat of annihilation And, and so god's answer is not look, here's a theological system, here's a moral code, here's a list of beliefs. Well, how, how anemic and disappointing would that be in the face of the trauma and the of it all if God simply said, look, look, here you go, here's a, here's a list of rules. Is, is that really what we need right now? I mean, let's, let's, let's try to, part- <laughs> let's you and I try and participate in this story for a moment and think about the kinds of questions you and I would be asking if we were in their shoes. These, right. these, these are people, the kind of questions we're asking is, that they're, in their context, so do they have a future? But does Israel have a future? And if so, how? Uh, will, will Israel survive to see tomorrow? And if so, how will that new day on? Can, can Israel mm. hope? What can they hope for? How, how can we reconcile this sort of hopeless situation that we're in right now today with any kind of hope for the future tomorrow? Um, mm. So, of course, God doesn't give them a list of you know, abstracted beliefs or bullet, bullet points uh, listed right. on a piece of paper. Here's our values he gives them something much more powerful than that he gives them stories stories in which they are invited to participate in those stories with with god hmm.
1: yeah if i understand you correctly i mean you're talking more uh, about scripture in the bible as kind of like a game of thrones style narrative epic ups and downs sweat blood and tears sure.
0: yeah. all men
1: must die kind of thing <laughs> curious because you know uh we do so often try to bu- uh, boil stories down to, to bullet points and, and put them in rigid systems, or you know, kind of extract some some definitive moral uh, from from them. And I know that we can kind of explore the ins and outs of that next week. Uh, but it kills it, doesn't it, when, when we try to, to do that, uh, when we try to contain the these epics, uh, these epic stories in some kind of grid system.
0: Yeah, so so what, what you're getting at is, is it is the flip side of everything we've been mm-hmm. saying, uh, which will yeah, as you alluded to, we'll look at next week, I hope. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're right. At times, stories do become overwhelmed, or, or some might say tamed by some system or, or some mm-hmm. sort of agenda, and it it ha- you know it happens for different reasons. But perhaps what one explanation, which I think you and I should take seriously, is simply this: we're satiated. You know we, we have mm-hmm. too much we're, we're mm-hmm. too comfortable even even in this crisis, we have too much, we're too comfortable and mm-hmm. and so we don't hunger, you know we don't mm-hmm. thirst we, we, mm-hmm. we're not longing, we don't long for the kingdom that mm-hmm. that Jesus announces um and, and of course, you know how he announces his kingdom, he does it through parables which mm-hmm. which, he, which he often he often prefaces with the phrase "The kingdom of heaven." is like you know he, mm-hmm. that place, mm-hmm. so, so jesus says um you know the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy he went and sold everything he had and he bought that field um mm. and again he says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found this one of great value he went away sold everything he had and bought it mm. well if you're listening carefully you know for, for people like you and me this is a very disruptive mm-hmm. thing to say and, and, and so you have to mm-hmm. ask you know who really wants to hear stories like that <laughs>
1: <laughs> well Stephen, let's just stop right there uh, thank you so much i, I know we could uh, continue with this uh, and i know we will next week so let's pick up the conversation um next sunday as we continue to discuss exactly uh why we've been given certain stories in the bible and uh and and how stories really do function as meaningful and and deeply complex things
0: thanks i'm looking forward to that
1: Me, me too and uh thank you so much for listening in conversations like this really aren't meant to be one-sided and i try to repeat that at the end of of all Stephen and i's conversations we want you to be involved and we would love to hear from you Uh, drop us a line uh, when we really do mean it uh, when we say uh, that we hope we can talk soon
0: Thank you again for listening. Just a couple of quick notices. First of all, we have a number of virtual community groups that are starting up for the summer. So if you'd like to join one of those, please let us know by clicking on the link, uh, the sign up link that is in the monthly newsletter and also in the email you received this morning. Uh, Second, next week we'll be celebrating communion together. So if you'd like to participate, please have some bread and wine or juice available. And don't forget to join us now right after the service for our virtual after church coffee. And the link for that is also in the email you received this morning. Let me close by saying, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and our loved ones forevermore. Amen.